take a breath You breathe your life in me You have been so, so
seats and welcome Jeremy Walker to give us announcements. Thanks, Dorothy. Well, welcome. Welcome to Church in the Valley, everybody. Uh, my name is Jeremy, for those of you that don't know me, and we're glad whether you're joining us online or in person this morning. Thanks for taking time to come and uh, be a part of things here at Church in the Valley this morning. I want to let you guys know about some of the things that are going to be going on this morning, if this is your first time or if you're a returner, as well as some things coming up uh, that you can be involved in in church life in the days ahead here, uh, one of them happening today. But uh, before I do, I just want to let you guys know about some things that you might have gotten handed to you when you came in this morning uh, in your program, one of which is this connection card. Now, in the age of everything being digital this past year, um, it's kind of like going back to this is a football. This is a piece of paper. And uh, you can't e-sign it. You actually have to physically sign it. Um, but if you have any things you want prayer requests about, things you want to be signing up for, um, updating addresses, updating, you know, relationship status, whatever you want to do on here, uh, this is your uh, ticket right here. And you can put these in the different baskets that are placed in various places, some over there by the guest resource table after uh, the service is over, or some of these on the back uh, ledges here. Any, any tan little bucket you see, uh, you can put those in afterwards, as well as any extra uh, re things from your program that you want to recycle and pins and stuff like that. That'd be helpful for us to have just to be praying for you, to be able to um, have you signing up for different things that are coming up, and just to be able to uh, know what's going on in your life, things that you want to share through that format. That'd really be helpful. Uh, also, if you're a guest with us this morning, uh, we have um, some free stuff over there at the guest resource table to my left that you're welcome to grab, including a book called How Good is Good Enough. And, uh, you know, I had actually never uh, fully read that book, even though we have, I've talked about it, so I read a, a good chunk of it last week, and it is really good. Uh, and I'd encourage you to read that if you've never read there yourself, and I think it would be a really helpful book for you. Um, also, you're welcome to, if you want to give, you can give online, but you can also give over there and drop it in the bucket on the guest resource table that says offering as well. That's another place to do that. Uh, something going on later today um, in church life is we have our parenting roundtables that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. And uh, that's today from 4 to 6 p.m. here at the Alhambra. It'll be up here in the courtyard um, and there'll be child care provided for that as well. And there'll be snacks for your kids as well as snacks for the adults. So don't worry, you won't be left out there. And if you haven't signed up and you thought, man, I have kids, so I'm kind of busy. I haven't had a chance to sign up. You can still do that today. Uh, so feel free to sign up on your connection card just so we make sure we have uh, enough of everything that's going to be here today for you. Um, that'd really be helpful. And then if you are a young adult, fear not, we have some stuff for you coming up as well. Um, Friday, this Friday, June 18th, uh, we're going to be kicking off um, at 7 p.m. at Neil Melinda Walker's house, a barbecue, and some time for you guys, young adults, to be able to connect and be able to um, hear a little bit of vision about some training that's going to be launching and some opportunities for you guys to really uh, be more further established in relationships with each other than you already are, as well as just some ways that you guys can be connecting and growing together um, intentionally in the months ahead. And so if you have not signed up for that and you'd like to be a part of that, uh, again, the connection card, the ticket to everything. Uh, sign up for your uh, opportunity to do that on that so we have enough food and space and everything for you on that. And if you're wondering, like, am I a young adult? Like, if you're younger than me, uh, you're, you're still a young adult. Because uh, apparently um, on our staff for Challenge, I somehow got clicked up into old staff uh, just by the basic range of our staff, um, which I didn't know that, but 
look down and 10 years later, you're old staff. Uh, but anyway, if you're younger than me, you can sign up for that. Um, and so I'd appreciate you guys uh, doing that. That'd be fun. And then last but not least, uh, we have a, just wanted to put in your calendars. We don't have a lot of details about it, but just so you guys can be aware of it, uh, volunteer appreciation picnic uh, that we had planned for earlier, but we kind of kept kicking down the field because of things opening up yet. August 14th, uh, Saturday, August 14th, we're going to try to have that uh, just as a way to really thank everybody here that makes uh, not only mobile setup church happen on Sunday mornings, but everything you do throughout the week. Um, this is uh, just a small token of an opportunity to be able to uh, thank you for that and just be able to have some fun together. So um, if you're available, we'd love for you to be able to come to that Saturday, um, August 14th. And so we'll get more details for you about that in the days ahead, but just so you can kind of uh, save the date in your calendar on that. So um, let me pray for us, and uh, we're going to sing some more, and then we'll welcome up John to, to give our message this morning. So, Father, thank you for uh, thank you for just the way that you um, are always working on multiple levels, God. Uh, we, we sometimes get overwhelmed uh, just working on one area, and yet you're working on so many areas at once, and, um, and you do it so effortlessly. And so, God, I really do pray that you would uh, give us more of your perspective, um, give us more of your strength and understanding of how to uh, handle life your way. And God, this morning, I really do pray that you would really be uh, honored, uh, not only with the words of our mouths, but with the, the meditation of our hearts as we um, sing this back to you, that you would really uh, be blessed through that. And this afternoon, just with the parenting roundtables coming up and the young adult things coming up later this week, uh, would those really be helpful to people here at church and their friends and family that they want to invite or be a part of that. Um, I pray that that would really help parents and young adults really begin to take next steps and move forward and uh, the responsibilities and arenas of life that you've really given them to have. And so I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys will stand with us, we will continue to worship.
thank you so much that you've offered us this wonderful opportunity to to come before your cross god and receive um just forgiveness and and salvation lord um what a gift we have in you um i pray that as we listen to the message this morning that um you would just remind us of your faithfulness and your goodness and um you would just teach us what you want us to learn god Um, it's in your son's name we pray Amen. Let's welcome up uh, Dr. John Taylor. All right. Thank you, everybody. Lovely to see you. Good morning to all. Hope everybody's well. What about you? I've actually had a great week this week. Uh, with a new grandchild being born, so that was cool. A granddaughter, which we were all kind of hoping for. But we weren't going to throw it back if it was a boy. We'd, we'd keep that one. Uh, whichever one that was, that's the one we wanted. But, uh, and, but uh, we're, God has been good, but he's always good, even when things go wrong. And uh, I'm going to talk today from Numbers chapter 11. So... Uh, by the way, uh, you'll notice that every week I try to, you know, use a particular Bible passage, and I, I just want to encourage you very strongly to find a way to bring a Bible 
you know, to gather when you gather in church, whether it's on your device or whether it's a paper Bible, uh, a, a clay tablet, whatever you have, uh, and, uh, you know, but to try to follow along as we read and, and as we uh, discuss the Bible, I think that'll help you uh, really understand more of what we're doing. And if there are people here who literally don't, you know, maybe you're a visitor, you literally don't have a Bible, uh, you know, uh, talk to me we'll, or, or one of the staff here and we'll certainly help you get one. Uh, so we're going to Numbers chapter 11. I'm going to read for the beginning just the first, uh, first few verses and then we'll come to the other text a bit later. Now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. The people therefore cried out to Moses and Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire died out. So the name of that place was called Taborah because the fire of the Lord burned among them. The rabble who were among them had greedy desires and also the sons of Israel wept again and said, who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There's nothing at all to look at except this manna. Now the manna was like coriander seed and its appearance like that of bdellium. The people would go about and gather it and grind it between two millstones or beat it in the mortar and boil it in the pot and make cakes with it. And its taste was like the cake, taste of cakes baked with oil when the dew fell on the camp at night, the manna would fall with it. So we'll start, we'll just leave there for a minute in our reading. We'll come back to this section, to, to, the, to the rest of the text in a minute. So we're going to talk about complaining today. And uh, you notice the title of the message is God's Complaints Department. And... Well, I used to live in England for many years. I was a missionary in England, and uh, I went from Australia to England as a missionary. One thing I know about the English, they love to talk about the weather. Uh, we don't do that so much here in Southern California because the weather's always the same. But uh, in England, uh, uh, we love to, they love to talk about the weather. Where I come from in Melbourne, Australia, the weather's always changing. We have a saying, if you don't like the weather, just wait five minutes. And... Uh, but in England, they love to talk about the weather. In fact, they love to complain about the weather. It's one of the sort of a, one of the sort of a national sport uh, is the complaining about the weather. Uh, but there was some a few years ago. There was some Romanians who outdid the English in complaining about the weather. This was a group of Romanian snowboarders. They blocked the traffic in front of the National Weather Institute in Bucharest to complain about the lack of snow. The sit-down protest only ended when the weathermen told them that their complaint would be passed on to a higher authority. Well, it's not just the British and the Romanians. Americans can do some complaining as well. A few years ago, there was an American man spent Memorial Day holiday in jail after dialing 911 to complain that a McDonald's worker was rude and didn't give him the orange juice he ordered. So... Uh, that was his, uh, his complaint. So I'm here to complain about complaining, to grumble about grumbling, to murmur about murmuring, and to whine about whining. Well, not really. I'm here 
I think, to discuss this passage and saying, uh, is there a, a way, a right way to complain, and is there a wrong way to complain? So, as always, we try to put the passages of Scripture that we're reading in context. That means we look at what comes before it and say, okay, how does that help us understand this passage that we're reading? We don't just want to dive bomb or, or parachute onto a, a passage in the Bible and read it completely out of context. And, uh, of course, the first ten chapters of Numbers is a reason. Uh, it's called the book of Numbers because that's where they're numbering the people and one of the effects of that numbering is to show God's blessing, how many Israelites there were and how God had blessed them. And so it was a way of kind of celebrating how God had blessed them as a people and grown them as a people. And so the first 10 chapters of, of, of Numbers, very positive, most of the, mostly. And uh, it's where they actually dedicate the, the new uh, worship center, their, their tabernacle, their, their tent of worship, which they built. And that's where they offer the offerings to, uh, to God, and uh, it's all full of thanksgiving and offering and worship. It's full of uh, dedication, and it finishes. It also talks about how God's with them in, uh, in the f uh, as he appears, or, or when God is he appears to them like there's a pillar of fire at night and a cloud during the daytime. And the last three verses of the, or four verses of the preview of chapter 10 say this. So they sent out from the Mount of the Lord three days journey and the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went before them three days journey to seek out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was over them by day whenever they set out for the camp. And whenever the Ark set out, the Ark was a gold-plated box in which they kept the sort of holy things like the Ten Commandments and, and things like that. And uh, whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And at rested, he said, Return, O Lord, to the ten thousand thousands of Israel. So this passage, chapter 11, is in the context of a lot of good news. They are going forth, and as they go forth, the, the cloud of God is there leading them through the desert. And they have God with them. They have supernatural provision. Every night, their food just literally falls from the sky. And all they have to do around is go out and collect it and cook it. It's, uh, it's amazing. They have escaped from slavery in Egypt. They were, as a, an entire people, enslaved by the Egyptian uh, pharaoh and his cronies and uh, the whole the whole people were living as slaves in enforced slave labor uh, and they've escaped from that God has set them free they're going to their own land they're on their way to the promised land to have their own home that's the context and as they set out Moses pronounces rise O God let your enemies be scattered and so on it's all wonderful stuff here they are in freedom, heading for their homeland with the presence and the provision of God. And that's why chapter 11 
and a couple of chapters after this that are full of other kinds of complaints. That's why chapter 11 is so startling because it, it's just such a contrast in, in mood. You suddenly go from all this wonderful provision of God and the blessing of God and suddenly they're just complaining. And in the first three verses here, uh, we don't even know what they're complaining about, right? It says the people began to complain in the hearing of the Lord. And uh, about what? Well, we're not told except there's a word, a word there in the Hebrew that's used meaning evil. In other words, misfortune, hardship, bad things happening. And God gets upset with them. Uh, the Lord was angry. By the way, it's not just complaining about little things that God is concerned about. He's concerned even when they're complaining about really evil things and really bad things that happen. And so, that, and what happens is the fire of the Lord starts to burn at the outskirts of their camp. You know, so if you see smoke rising at the edge of the, the Alhambra, uh, you know someone has been complaining in the camp. Now, when I think about complaining and grumbling and whining, I want to think about, well, what's the opposite of that? How do, what's, what does it look like not to be a complainer or a whiner? I often think about my, my grandmother, uh, you know, who had her share of struggles and troubles in life like anybody, but was always constantly thankful, always would say to me, Oh, there's always someone worse off and uh, just it's so refreshing to meet someone who's lived a good long life and is full of thanksgiving. It is so sad to meet someone who's lived a long life and is full of bitterness and complaining and anger. What kind of person are you growing into? What kind of person are you becoming? Well, my mother was like that too, learned it from her mother. And, uh, you know, I never heard her complain about physical, many, the many physical things she went through. Uh, she died three years ago, but uh, I never heard her complain about things. In, uh, in Philippians and uh, chapter, chapter 2, it's just we're going to come back to uh, to numbers in a minute, but in Philippians chapter two, Paul says this in verse fourteen and fifteen: Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you, sh you shine or appear as lights in the world holding forth offering the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I didn't run in vain or toil in vain. Okay, so Philippians 2.14 and to, actually that was to verse 16 that I read. Do everything without grumbling or complaining, disputing, arguing. 
Paul says, when you're like that, you're going to shine like lights in the world. And you're going to be able to offer the word of life to people. You're going to stand out in the middle of a crooked world. It's startling in the world when we meet people who aren't grumbling and complaining about everything. You just stand out, you know, I've got to say like a sore thumb, except they're the ones who saw and you're not. You're going to stand out. You're going to shine as lights in the world if you're not a grumbler and a complainer, but, but you do everything uh, for, the, you know, you, you live for the glory of God and you, and you give thanks and so on. What happens here is that uh, as the fire starts to burn the camp up, uh, they cry out to Moses. By the way, notice they don't cry out to God. They cry out to Moses and Moses talks to God about it and God has mercy and puts the fire out. And that's why they named that place Tabera, sort of burning. Uh, and so back now to Numbers. You think they might have got the message when their whining and complaining led to the place starting to burn up. You really think they might have got the message at that point. Uh, but you know what? How many of us have had to be told something more than once? <laughs> right? How many of us have read, read something in the Bible and then don't respond to it and had to read it again? You know, I mean, that's, we know that's the way we are. Verses 4 through 10 really just there's a new set of complaints that come up and it really tells us about the nature of complaining what what complaining is all about kind of details it and uh, it talks about the rabble that is among them had a strong craving in verse 4 and the people of Israel also wept again and said oh that we had meat to eat so notice by the way that I said in, in England complaining about the weather is a national sport uh, Complaining is a group activity, right? Complaining is a group activity. It, 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 uh, we, get more, we get more out of it, if you like, more in a kind of twisted satisfaction out of it when we do it together. And so it's a group activity. That's what they were doing together. Second thing, you'll notice that they, were, they had a craving. In, in verse 4, they had a craving, a strong craving or greedy desires. Uh, the Hebrew here has got to do with the, they desired a desire, which is a kind of a Hebrew way of saying they were intensely desiring something. What was it? Meat. They wanted steak well, or uh, lamb, perhaps. Uh, and uh, they were just wanted meat so badly. And all they had was the manna. And they just wanted it. Complaining happens, guess what? When we don't get what we want. That's kind of obvious, right? Complaining happens when we don't get what we want or when we don't get it quickly enough. And so that's why we complain, because we don't get what we want or something doesn't happen according to our preference. 
It's amazing how we, uh, we, we, we learn to be, to be complainers. The reason we learn to complain is because there's it, it a, a kind of strange way in which complaining works, right? If you don't get what we want, we start complaining, someone's possibly going to give us what we want. In fact, that happens here. They get the meat, but it wasn't good for them. Uh, and so, right? And we learn that as children. When we whine for something, our parents give in and, uh, and uh, give us what, what, what we want. How many of you seen those children in the, uh, you know, in the checkout line at the supermarket? seeing all that candy and whining for it and parents just for a bit of a moment of peace give in and load up, load up the cart with sugar. And that's, that's what happens, right? We, we, we learn that whining, in a sense, works. It helps us get what we want. And so, and uh, if we really are, are really good complainers, then we learn when we're children how to throw tantrums. How to throw a tantrum? That's something, you know, because that's really a way to get what you want. Uh, my wife was, uh, and she couldn't be with us this morning, but uh, uh, she was uh, w once involved in a church uh, panel uh, at a church we were we were at, and uh, it was a it was a group. It was about about parenting, and uh, she was on the panel there, just answering questions from people in the church. And there was a group of of uh, mothers who were on the panel and, and some of the elders' wives and things like this. And my, and my wife Heidi was there. And the, the subject came up about tantrums. What do you do about children's tantrums? And uh, so the various, mother, the various people on the panel went through their preferred solutions. One said, well, we, we just put them in their room and shut the door and wait till they've exhausted themselves, screaming and shouting and thrashing around. Another one said, uh, you know, I just grab them, I hold them until they stop kicking and whining. You know, they had all these, all these preferred solutions. What do you do about tantrums? My wife said, oh, we don't allow it. And this caused a great deal of controversy. Uh, but uh, that's what she said, we don't allow tantrums. Uh, you know, we, don't, we didn't allow our kids to, to have tantrums uh, because it's a form of manipulation. And we don't want them to learn that they can manipulate others by complaining, uh, and especially by complaining louder and longer than anybody else. And that becomes a bad habit. And guess what? My next, the next thing we learn about complaining, remember they did it already in verses 1 to 3, now they're doing it again in verse 4, is that complaining becomes a habit, doesn't it? They hear they wept again, or in, uh, in the Hebrew they turned and wept, which, which means they sort of kept on going. And right after being judged for complaining, they start complaining. Some people just aren't happy unless they've got something to complain about. And so the question for all of us is, am I, have I got developed a habit of whining and complaining? Uh, and I notice that you're also, as a church, you know, we're, we're thinking here about uh, parenting coming up. Well, that's a, something to think about. Uh, for parents here. But is there a habit? We get into this routine, a habit of complaining, and, uh, and before long, we just think that's normal. And people around us accept that that's who we are. 
They don't like it, but they have to live with it because that just seems like that's what humans are like. Notice in verse 4 also, they started saying, who will give us meat to eat? Now, some translations will have it, uh, oh, that we might have meat to eat, but the Hebrews are here very definitely says, who will give us meat to eat? And uh, it is a kind of rhetorical expression, but notice something again. In the first round of complaining, when the fire fell on, the, where the fire started to burn the camp, uh, they didn't ask God to deliver them, they asked Moses to ask God. Notice here again, when they wanted meat, instead of talking to God about it, what do they do? Who will give us meat to eat? They just, they're looking for someone to blame and they stop being thankful, they stop looking to God. Complaining, listen, complaining shifts the blame and the focus to someone else from ourselves and is a way of ignoring God. Numbers 7, a few chapters earlier, is about the rich peace offerings that the leaders of each tribe brought to the tabernacle after it was set up. The peace offering in Israel had three purposes. The first was thanksgiving. This is all according to Leviticus 7 uh, and Numbers 7. The, the uh, the first purpose of a peace offering was thanksgiving. The second was when you made a vow, and the third uh, was a free will offering. But here they are bringing truckloads of offerings to the Lord as a way of thanksgiving, as a peace offering of thanksgiving. And almost right away, they're all into complaining. What a contrast. So when you're a complainer, guess what? You're going to shift the blame. You find a way to blame anybody else. Who is going to give us meat to, meat to eat? You're going to find a way to shift the blame and to look for someone else to solve your problems, right? Except, except God. In verse 5, they, this is a really quite a... a Amusing verse, really, in some ways. We remember the fish we used to eat in, in, in Egypt for nothing. Cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. This uh, complaining causes selective memory loss, right? Complaining causes selective memory loss. In other words, we develop a rosy view of the past and a twisted view of the present. We we, uh, we look back and we think, oh, we, we look back in this kind of rosy-hued nostalgia. What are they actually looking back at? They're looking back at their life as a nation, as slaves being forced to work for no pay for centuries as a people. And they say, and they're now looking back, oh, we had free fish. Well, they might have had to catch it or buy it. They, it certainly was not free. Uh, and all the other things that they ate in Egypt. By the way, uh, I have been to Egypt. I, I was over there in ministry, uh, at one point to teaching. And uh, they do eat well in Egypt, I will say. 
Uh, and but it's a selective memory loss. When you start, when you're a complainer, you 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 start to compare negatively the present with your kind of fondly remembered, rosy-hued view of the past, and you think, oh, it wasn't like that back then. Yes, it was. But you're a complainer. In verses 6 to 9, we discover uh, that complaining uh, overemphasizes uh, problems and ruins our judgment. Complaining overemphasizes our problems, ruins our judgment, right, and blinds us to the truth. Look at, look at verse 6. Now our appetite is gone. There's nothing at all to look at except this manna, they say. Our strength is dried up. Or there's nothing but this manna to look at in our, or nothing but manna in our eyes. When we have our complaining glasses on, we only see the problems and we see them magnified. And so we overemphasize a problem. We overstate them. Look at this there. Our, our, our soul is dried up, they said. There's nothing but manna to look at. By the way, even the word manna is, is, a, is a part of the fun here because the word uh, uh, for manna in, in Hebrew means what? <laughs> That's what it means. When it came down, when the manna first started falling, they needed a name for whatever. And they said, what is it? That's, and they called it what? what? So we had nothing at all but this whatever it is to look at. One of my former mentors and teachers used to say, are you wrestling with the problem or are you wrestling with the promises? Are you wrestling with the problems or are you wrestling with the promises of God? And when you're a complainer, you are wrestling with the problems rather than with the promises of God. Now, verse 7 to 9, we read, it tells us about the manna. It's basically saying it looked like coriander seed, it appeared like bdellium, to go out and it just, and uh, it, would, it tasted like cakes baked with oil. And it fell on the night, it fell in the night with the Jew. What is this saying? The manna is miraculous, the manna is good. In other words, their, their complaints were totally unjustified. This was good. And in fact, if we go back to uh, Exodus, we discover that the manna tasted, you know, it's got a bit of a taste of honey in there and it's, 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 uh, it's good stuff. Yeah, maybe you get a bit tired of having it breakfast, lunch and dinner. Uh, but it was a miracle and it never stopped and it kept them alive. Such a contrast to their whining. Now, I'm going to, in verse 10a, have a look at that. Uh, or, or, or verse 10. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, each man in the doorway of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly, and Moses was displeased. <laughs> you reckon? Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. Okay, 
What is complaining? Complaining is self-pity. Hello? Say this again. Complaining is self-pity. And what is self-pity? Self-pity is we, when we take the compassion and the pity that we're meant to spend on others and we spend it on ourselves. Self-pity is when we take our emotional resources, our compassion and our pity, our concern, our empathy. We take those resources that are we're meant to pour out for others and we spend it all on ourselves. We get emotionally involved with our own problems and we, we get emotionally involved with our own problems and we spend our pity on ourselves. How do you know? You say, hey, John, how do you know so much about self-pity? Well, because that was a habit of mine for many years. And uh, there's a point in my Christian life where God really deeply convicted me about self-pity, about feeling sorry for myself, about, you know, uh, getting wrapped up in my own problems and... Uh, you know, uh, and complaining and, and just full of uh, self-interest in that way, self-pity. God really convicted me of this and I had to repent and confess of this and turn away from it because it's not okay. That's where complaining takes you. The more you complain, the more you become someone full of self-pity. Maybe we think, look, but we've got to be authentic, right? We've got to be authentic. We've got, to, we've got real feelings and real bad stuff does happen. What do, you, what do you do about it? Well, we'll get there in a moment. But we, I suppose, in the era, in the sort of postmodern era in which we live, let me say something very briefly about modernity, postmodernism, and, 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 and these kind of things, and I'll, I'll try to keep this very brief. But the early, uh, the, the early Enlightenment, the modern era, intellectually speaking, begins in the sort of Renaissance and, and Reformation, but it comes through into what's called the Enlightenment era. And the Enlightenment era in the sort of 1817 uh, and 1800s, uh, is an era where people are wanting to throw off the old ways of thinking, uh, wanted to re resist the kind of learning truth from being told it by authority figures, and they want to now discover truth for themselves. And so that's why they called it enlightenment, because they, they wanted to throw off the idea that the church told us what was true, uh, and the church tradition told us all about reality and about God and about everything. And they said, no, we, we, we want to start with ourselves and discover the truth. And so whether we call that enlightenment or whether we should call it endarkenment, it's a good question. But anyway, that was the enlightenment. But the beginnings of the enlightenment were really based on what we might call rationalism. That is, uh, uh, you know, and, and so they, they wanted to uh, learn the truth by reason. They were, they were very convinced of the power of human reason. And they said, we can, we, we can find truth by reasoning towards it and discovering it. Now, within the Enlightenment there, there was a kind of reaction against that over-rationalism, 
particularly what we, and, and what we might call romanticism. And the romanticism, and figures like Rousseau, you might think of uh, if you're into philosophy. But romanticism says, look, there's, a, there's, a, there's an, an emotional, an important emotional part or an, an important aesthetic part of the human personality, human person, which isn't just simply all logic and reason and rationality. There's a kind of non-rational side to us uh, that we must acknowledge and a non-rational side to life that we've got to take, be aware of. And so that the two, there are these two major strands coming through the enlightenment of, of rationalism. It's all about reason and, and science and so on. And then romanticism, it's all about aesthetics and feelings and, and, uh, and, and these things and, and come out of the enlightenment and, mod and moder modernism picks up both of these. And postmodernism is, if you like, the victory of romanticism over rationalism. It's, it's where the romantic side of the Enlightenment wins out over the rationalist side. Anyway, enough said on that. Uh, what, but where that has left us, where that has left us intellectually, is that we valorize feelings. We we think that feelings are what authenticity and truth are all about. That my truth is my, is my feelings. And uh, that's what's important about me. And that I mustn't deny my feelings. I mustn't suppress my feelings. I must value them and valorize and celebrate them, whatever those feelings are. Uh, and, uh, and so because that's authenticity and that's truth. And truthfulness is, is all about my feelings. And, and uh, so when someone gets up and says, you know, the Bible says don't complain, there may be something which says, no, but, but, but we've got to be authentic. We've got to be real. We've got, to, we've got feelings. I need, they need, they're important. They are, they're important. They're certainly strong motive. Feelings are very strong motivators of behavior, right? But it doesn't mean we should live by them. In fact, one of the goals of a Christian life, if you like, or one of the important aspects of Christian discipleship is for our feelings to come in line with God's feelings uh, so, so that uh, they reflect what he feels about things more than, you know, and that's something that comes about through the renewing of the mind. Now, are we raising a generation of complaining, self-pitying, entitled kids who think that their feelings are the most important thing in the world? Well, if we are, can we turn that around? What happens in verse 10b here is that God gets angry at complaining people. And uh, just something to recognize, right? God gets angry at complaining people. Happens twice in the first few verses of this, of this chapter. All right, so we might think that complaining is okay, it's just being authentic, but God, God gets angry at it. And Moses also doesn't like it, and he complains. And in verses 10 to 15, Moses starts complaining. Get this, but guess what? He gets it right or nearly right, when he starts complaining. <laughs> Moses 
complains and he gets it at least nearly right. He says, why have you dealt ill with your servant? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give to all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I'm not able to carry all these people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you'll treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight that I may not see my wretchedness. That's what God says to Moses. And that sounds like complaining to me. But Moses complains a little differently. Moses is overwhelmed by his responsibilities. People are talking to him instead of to God. There's fire burning that God has sent. Instead of saying, oh God, have mercy, they talk to Moses. You talk to God about it. Uh, how does Moses respond? And how should we respond when there's something to complain about? First thing is, he talks to the right person. He goes to God's complaint department, right? And talks to God about it. He doesn't complain to everybody except everybody else. The complaining people in Israel, they complain to everyone but the Lord. But Moses talks to the Lord about it. And the second thing, so he talks to the Lord. Number two is this, he asks questions. He asks questions. They're, they're kind of strong questions. Just a minute. I'm going to move this out of the sun a little. There we go. So, by the way, this is a great way to talk to God. God can handle your questions. Ask God questions all the time. I, I ask God lots of questions and uh, I try to listen for the answers. <laughs> I don't always get answers, but I, 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 often, I try to listen for the answers and, uh, and ask God questions. And you can do that. If you're confused, you have something you complain about, something's gone wrong, who should you talk to? You talk to the right complaints department, talk to God's complaints department, and you ask questions. The next thing he does, he reminds God of what he said before if you like, of his promises. In Exodus 33, verse 12, in Exodus 33, verse 12, Moses says to God, you have said to me, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. So God had spoken to Moses that he had found favor or grace in God's sight. Moses had been told by the Lord, you found favor in my eyes. And so that's what Moses is bringing back to the Lord when he starts asking these questions. How can, you know, and he's wondering whether he's really found favor. And then he always says, oh, if I have found favor, just let me die. <laughs> That'd be preferable. It's, it's full of emotion, right? It's full of emotion. But he talks to the Lord, he asks questions, and he reminds God of what is said before and he reminds God of his promises and his word. He expresses his feeling that he's been asked to do the impossible. Look at verse 12 and 13. We see that, right? 
How can I bring this people? How can I give them meat? Now, this happened before in Moses' life. Back in Exodus uh, chapter 18, you know, he was being overwhelmed with uh, judicial responsibilities. They were judging and, and uh, you know, case, judging cases between people. And they were lining up all day to see Moses, to have their complaints, you know, and, and their court cases uh, heard. And remember, his father-in-law said, I, just appoint people over a thousand and hundred and tens. And they just bring you the serious cases. And so, you know, it, it's a huge responsibility. And that was where one way in which God had already relieved some of the burden off Moses. But there was more to it. Uh, those, the leaders of thousands and hundreds and tens, they were there to judge, uh, you know, to judge cases between people, uh, you know, court cases, if you like, civil suits, uh, criminal cases, things like that. But they were not helping Moses bear his load of spiritual leadership. Uh, and, and actually making things happen for Israel, of, of helping them get through the promised land, get through the wilderness to the promised land. And uh, he expresses his feelings. You know that Israel has a cultural way to complain. Israel had a cultural and approved way to express complaints, and it's called the lament. I know when you've had some talks on the Psalms recently, and perhaps Dr. Durst, Rick Durst probably talked about some of this, but this, the lament Psalms, out of 150 Psalms in the book of Psalms in the Bible, 42 of them are what we call lament Psalms. That is expressing their pain, their disappointment, and their problems to God. 42 out of 150. Here's a challenge for all you worship leaders here. Count up the last 150 worship songs uh, that you have, have led in church and see how many of them were laments. In fact, count up the last 100. Well, even if you haven't got 150, count up the last 100. See if there's any laments among them. I can almost guarantee you there won't be any. It's a strange thing, but we have given up this biblical mode of expressing our emotions and our pain. It's given to us in the Bible, 42 Psalms, plus the whole book of Lamentations, plus many of the prophet, of the poet, much of the poetry in the prophets is filled with laments. And it's okay. It is a biblical way of complaining. What do the lament psalms do? They state the problem and then they express trust in God. They say, Lord, I'm uh, just awful. Everybody's out to get me. They, they're trying to kill me, full of problems. But I trust in you, Lord. But I trust in you, Lord. They, they address themselves to God. They express their complaint. They make their request and say, oh God. And then they say, Lord, I, I, I'm, in, I'm in the stew. It's, things are rough. Uh, what's up here? I don't understand what you're doing. And then they, they, they make a petition. Lord, fix this. You know, help me out here. Then they express trust to the Lord. They say, Lord, I, I trust you no matter what. Sometimes the lament psalms are reasoning with God. Lord, you said this. And, and, you got to, and they remind him of his, 
of his promises and, and, and making reasoning. They're saying, God, if you, if you fix my problem, I'm, I'm going to come back and praise you about it. I'm going to go to the temple and I'm going to make thank offerings. They're kind of offering God a deal. You know, they do this kind of thing. And uh, they vow to thank, to thank God after things have, 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 you know, once the problem has been solved. That's a cultural, uh, Israelite cultural way of complaining, and it works. And the thing about worship is it's, and prayer, it's so important, and it's connected to our emotions. When we are unhealthy emotionally, one of the, one of the only one, but it's one of the important ways of finding healing is worship. That is, of expressing our feelings to the Lord. Every so often I've been in a, a Christian service where the worship leader, in a very well-meaning way, says, well, uh, you know, check your problems at the door here. We're, we're not, we're, forget, forget all your anxieties. We're just here to worship God. The problem when you check your problems at the door and come to church is you just pick them up on the way out again when you, when you leave, Right? What we need to do is bring our problems to the Lord. Because if we don't bring them to the Lord, we're going to bring them to someone else. And we're going to inflict them on our family and our friends and everybody and on Facebook and Twitter. You know, because if, by the way, if, if people stopped complaining, Twitter and Facebook would go out of business tomorrow. We need to find a way to, to bring our stuff to Jesus, to bring our pains, our anxieties, our problems. And that's exactly what Moses has done here. Jesus did this. If you read the passion narratives, that is the, the stories of Jesus' death on the cross, a significant amount of what he said on the cross was taken from the lament psalms. He, when he's in trouble, he goes to those psalms and they're his prayer resource. Even the famous cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is straight from Psalm 22 verse 1. It's a lament psalm. And he just, that's what he does. That's why when he's in desperate trouble, he's dying, he's got these feelings, he tells them to God and he uses the psalms to do it. Why? Because he's been praying the psalms all his life. And they're there already. And he's got those resources. And he can pour it out to the Lord. Lamentations 2.19, one of the, my favorite verses in the Bible. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Lamentations 2.19. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Tell him how you feel. He can take it. Seriously, he can take it. Ask him lots of questions. And put your trust in him. And say, I'm still going to trust you. I'm, I'm going to keep praising you. So what happens in this passage then is that God speaks back to Moses and in verses 16 and 17 he says basically uh, he says I'm going to help you out and the way he's going to help him out he says he's going to get a, gather 70 men from the elders of Israel and whom you know to be the elders of the people in their offices, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take of the spirit who is upon you, take some of the spirit that's upon you, and I'll put him upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you will not bear it all 
alone. Wow. Moses asked to die. God doesn't let him die. He gives him help. <laughs> Moses is not expected, after all, to bear his burden alone. In Exodus 24, we'd already taken 70 elders to meet with God and to eat a meal before God's presence. Now, probably the same group, or much the same group, they are to come to God to receive the Spirit. Uh, a lot could be said about this, by the way, but spiritual leadership needs the Holy Spirit to be spiritual, amen? And to be able to bear the burden that God, or if you like, if you, to be able to carry out leadership, you need the power of God, you need the Spirit of God. Now, verses 18 to 20 is, his, is what he tells Moses to say to Israel, and it's a lot less positive, <laughs> we might say. Say to the people, consecrate yourselves tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, Oh, that someone would give us meat to eat, for we were well off in Egypt. So that sounds good. For the, therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but a whole month, until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome them to you, because you've rejected the Lord who is among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? Wow. Okay, st starts off like good news. God's, I've been hearing your, your weeping, I'm going to give you meat. Sounds good to me, right? Steak dinners for the next month. Or, in this case, it's going to be birds. But, uh, you know, sounds good. Then it's going to, but then you realize it's an aspect of, of God's judgment. You're going to find it even loathsome. They get meat. and they die in the wilderness. Yes, when you complain enough, sometimes you will get what you want. But be careful what you moan for. You might get it, and you might end up loathing it. Because they rejected the Lord and rejected his call to go to the promised land. They had to go through a wilderness to get to the promised land. It was going to be a bit tough, all right? They didn't need to be 40 years doing it. But they had to go through the wilderness to get to the promised land. Now in verse 21 to 23, Moses is still not quite satisfied. He asks a few more questions. He's, in, he says, verse 21, But Moses said, The people among whom I am, they're like 600,000 people on foot. You've said I will give them meat, so they made it for a whole month. Should flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to be sufficient for them? Or should all the fish of the sea be gathered together and to be sufficient for them? The Lord said to Moses, is the Lord's power limited? If, Lord, if the Lord's arm too short is what it says. Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. Moses is still looking at the circumstances. If I said to you, how are you doing this week? And you say, I'm all right under the circumstances. Maybe we should say, well, what are you doing under there? He, Moses wants to know how God is going to fulfill his promise, how he's going to give the meat, and he thinks it still comes back to him. God does not tell him how. Moses needs to trust, listen, in the power of God and the character of God. He needs to trust that God's power that God is able to provide? Is the Lord's hand too short that he can't reach out to do something? Is God able? First thing. 
What kind of God do you worship and follow? Is he able to meet your needs, the needs of your family and the needs of your ministry? Is he able to fulfill his word? Is he powerful enough? Is he big enough? Is your God too small? Do you think of God as somehow limited in this world? Second, is, God, is God's character, is he true to his word? When he says, I'm going to give them meat, is that something that's true or just a wish? He says, now you will see whether my word will come true for you or not. Verse 23, is he willing and is he truthful? You know, is he willing, is he truthful and is he able? These are really, really important things. Do you trust in God's character and nature, his power and his word? And in verse 24 to 20 to 30, really, we see Moses responds now in faith. He went out and told people the words of the Lord. And he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and stationed them around the tent. And the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him. And he took the spirit was upon him and placed upon him on the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied. They didn't do it again. Wow, what an incredible event. Moses went ahead and did what God said. And the spirit comes upon the 70 elders and they start prophesying. By the way, Scripturally, prophecy quite often a sign of the Spirit coming upon somebody. We see this in the life of Saul. Uh, we see this in the New Testament in the book of Luke with uh, Elizabeth and, uh, and some others. So, Zechariah. Verse 26 to 29 is a kind of subplot. And we're not going to delve into this. It's, it's about the two men. Two of these 70 had remained in the camp. It didn't come out to the tent of meeting. They stayed in the camp. And, uh, and one was named Eldad and the other was Medad. And guess what? Even though they weren't out where Moses was uh, with the other 68, they, they started prophesying as well. The Spirit came upon them. And there was an issue here. Joshua wanted Moses to stop them. And Moses said, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets. The Lord would put his spirit upon them. Uh, so that little side, that little sub-narrative or subplot is something we're going to come back to in a future week. Uh, we're going to, we talk about when we get to uh, Numbers chapter 12, which is where the, the subject is going to be who talks for God, who speaks for God. And so we're going to come back to that issue. But in verse 31 to 34, the final part of the chapter, there came forth a wind from the Lord and it brought quail from the sea and they, f and fall they fell beside the camp about a day's journey all around the camp. That's a long way, right? A day's foot journey, that's a long distance. And about two cubits, that's about, three, about a, a yard high or a meter high. Just imagine how many quail that is. And these are small birds, game birds that people eat. And the people spent all day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. He who gathered least, he gathered least, had 10 homers. It's about 500 gallons of quail. That's the one who had the least, got 500 gallons of quail. That's a lot of quail. Now, not much meat on the quail, so you need a lot to make a meal. But 
Still, that's an awful lot of quail. While it says here, while the meat was still between their teeth, as they spread the quail out in the camp to dry, you know, while the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a severe plague. The name of that place was called Kibroth Hata'ava because they, they buried the people who had been greedy. From Kibroth Hata'ava, the people were set out for Hazaroth and they remained at Hazaroth. The quail falls and the wind brings the quail. The word for wind in Hebrew is ruach, and it, it's the, if, uh, which is the same, of course, as the word for spirit. The spirit rested upon the 70 elders here. The ruach rested on the 70 elders here. The ruach brings the quail. Quite interesting. And perhaps there's an annual spring migration of the quail, some people think. In any event, God did it. Three foot high for a day's journey around the camp, 500 gallons of, of quail minimum each. But the judgment falls. They got meat and they died in the desert. This is, by the way, not a message in, this is not a message about being vegans or anything like that. So, When we complain, I'm going to finish now. When we complain, it is usually a failure to trust in the character and power of the Lord. It's a failure to trust in the character and power of the Lord. I'm going to ask you this. In what areas of your life are you individually or you corporately complaining, getting your focus off the Lord, his character, his power, his promises, and indulging in self-pity and blame shifting? In what areas of your life are you a whiner or a complainer? It's amazing how food often is the, is the focus of our complaints. You know, too often we are dining and whining. Let's call it like that. So what are you going to do if you're a complainer? Number one, just stop it, right? <laughs> but learn to complain instead to God. Learn the art of the lament. Learn and if, by the way, one of the ways to do that is just get the hold of the Psalms and read some of the, and pray some of those lament Psalms and personalize them as you pray them. Learn to tell him what you feel. Learn to worship by bringing your problems to him and pour out your heart like water before him. Cast your burdens on him for he cares for you. And replace whining and fault-finding with, guess what? Praise, thanksgiving, contentment, rejoicing. Best way not to be a whiner is to be thankful, right? Is to be someone full of thanksgiving. And, and uh, I'm not talking about a, being a relentless optimist, right? I'm not talking about a false bravado that can never say a negative word and always has to, you know, be a kind of pseudo uh, pseudo, you know, be falsely happy. No, I'm not saying you always have to be laughing and smiling when there's grief around. But find a way to express your problems uh, to the Lord rather than becoming a whiner and a complainer. And when we do that, we're going to be exhibiting trust and faith in the Lord in his character, his goodness, in his power, in his love, in his truthfulness. 
and we're going to shine as lights in the middle of a crooked and twisted world. Shall we pray? Our dear Lord, we want to thank you for the word of God. It's so clear. Bring, bring us to the place right now where we, Lord, can put aside our complaining, our whining, our fault-finding, our murmuring. To repent of that, Lord. And Lord, to put on thanksgiving and contentment and gladness and rejoicing to fill this earth with, with your praises to Lord pour out our hearts to you Lord can I just ask you now in, in the, wherever you are here whether it's online or whether you're here in, in the, in, whether you're here in person just take those areas that you have been whining about complaining about just confess that to the Lord repent of it ask him to forgive you and then just start to express your thanksgiving to the Lord instead express your heart to the Lord tell your God tell God how you feel tell him your problems and then tell him you're going to trust him anyway and you're still going to be thankful thank you Lord Jesus Amen. Okay. as we um, sing this next song I would just love for you guys to meditate on uh, the message that you just heard and um, just spend time if you need to lament to God um, maybe take some time looking through, the, through those psalms and, and praying um, that God would bring healing and um, that he would just speak to you. Um, you can feel free to, to sit or stand, whatever feels comfortable. Let's go. Cool. 
you guys stand with us as we sing this last song?
thank you that you are able to do (laughs) just immensely more than we can ask or imagine, God. Um, You are so good. Um, You brought manna from heaven, um, and you provide for us um, and satisfy our every need, God. Um, And I pray that you would just change our hearts, um, that when we have a spirit of complaining, when it's so easy to give into the world around us and, and join in on Facebook or Twitter and just complain about the world, that you would just open our eyes um, and that you would just turn our hearts to you and that we would instead just talk to you about it and not talk to other people about it because, God, you're the only one that can do anything about our situation. Um, and I pray that you would just increase our trust in you. Um, and that we would find comfort and lament. Um, and God, that you would just allow our faith to be deepened um, and that we would bring our desires and, and wants to your feet um, and just ask you humbly that you would um, fulfill those desires and that you would just be with us, God. Um, I pray that you would just send us out of here today um, just renewed, and that throughout this week you would just allow us um, to really act on the message that we heard today, that you would convict our hearts when we start to complain, um, and that you would just change us, God, from the inside out. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all for being here this morning, and uh, you're dismissed.